Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There are lots of people who have lots of information in their brains, spiritual information, even theological information. But in some cases, it's never moved from their head to their heart. So it's never impacted their life. And you see, it's only when it comes home to the heart, that's when the transformation takes place. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, in a message titled, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Paul, having opened this letter to the Ephesians by giving a long list of spiritual blessings, the spiritual blessings that belong to those who are in Christ, now he goes on to pray that his readers would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they could know God in the profound way that he desires to be known. It never ceases to amaze me this whole thing about God's desire to know us and for us to know him. You know, when we the more we understand who God is, the more baffling this whole thing becomes that uh, this this God, this infinite God, this all-sufficient God who who doesn't need anything who's perfectly contented within himself, who's absolutely complete in himself, yet he wants to know us and he wants us to know him. So God wants to know you and he wants to know me and he wants us to know him and not just in theory. He doesn't simply want us to know about him He wants us to know him experientially and personally. Now, that's where Paul starts off his prayer here. But just a quick word on the prayer itself, or uh, not just this prayer, but, but other prayers in Scripture. The thing to remember when we're looking at these prayers, when we're considering them, remember this. They are not merely the prayers of the person, in this case, Paul, but they are prayers that are inspired by the Spirit. So whether it's this prayer here in the first chapter of Ephesians or another prayer somewhat like it in the third chapter that we'll get to eventually, or if it's the the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians recorded in Philippians chapter 1, or the prayer that he prayed for the Colossians recorded in Colossians chapter 1, all of which are wonderful, wonderful prayers. As you look through those prayers, as you read them over, and as you pray them for people, know this, you're praying the will of God. And you can have that absolute confidence. You know, the Lord is going to do this because I'm asking him to do what he's already revealed that he desires to do. And so Paul begins the prayer 
he says that it's after he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He says he does not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And the first thing he prays, notice, is this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So the first thing that Paul prays for is spiritual illumination. Now, remember, we've already been told by the apostle all of these amazing blessings that belong to us in Christ. We've been told about the fact that we're, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. And we've looked at that. Uh, we were told about having been predestined to be his children, having been redeemed through the blood of Christ and had our sins forgiven and having and obtained an inheritance in the Lord and then having been sealed by the Spirit. So he's told us all of these amazing things, but now what he's doing is he's praying that everything that we have learned, it would translate from our heads and that it would impact us in our hearts. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for spiritual illumination, that we would really get to the fullest extent all that God has done for us. And, you know, we can't even get that, according to Paul here, by merely studying the text. There has to be the additional element of the Spirit's illumination. So we have to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit working together. And, you know, that is our prayer. That's my prayer for my own personal time in God's word. Before I open it and begin to meditate on it, I'm praying, Lord, give me understanding. And so we, we pray before we bring the word and then, you know, after the facts, you know, when I go home on Sundays and finally put my head on my pillow at, you know, before I fall asleep, not only thanking the Lord for what he did today, but just then again saying, Lord, now bring the things that we heard, bring those things home to our hearts. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Illuminate us. And where Paul says here, where he speaks of the eyes of our understanding, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the word understanding here is the, the Greek word for heart. And so this could literally be translated, and it is in some other versions, it's translated, open the eyes of our heart, that we would be, be given that insight, again, that's more than head knowledge. We make that distinction sometimes. We say, well, you know, that person's got a lot of head knowledge, but I don't know if it's really trickled down to their heart. Well, we need head knowledge because it's through the head that it eventually makes its way to the heart. But we don't want the knowledge to just stop with the head. In other words, we don't want it to just be information. We don't want it to just be theoretical. You know, there are lots of people who have lots of information in their brains, spiritual information even, theological information. 
There are people called theologians who have a ton of information packed into their brains, but in some cases, it's never moved from their head to their heart. So it's never impacted their life. And you see, it's only when it comes home to the heart, that's when the transformation takes place. That's when my life is changed. So I, I want to make sure that it's not just head knowledge that I'm gaining, but that my heart is being impacted as well. And, and that happens, Paul believed, through prayer. So as a preacher and a minister and a pastor and a, and a missionary and everything else Paul was, this is, this is what he did. He not only delivered the word, but then he prayed that the Holy Spirit would bring it home to the hearts of his uh, hearers. And so we can pray that for each other and we can pray that for ourselves and we ought to. So Paul prays for illumination, but then he zeroes in on three particular things that he's asking God to really bring home to us in our hearts. And notice what he says here. He's praying that, number one, you may know what is the hope of his calling. Secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And then thirdly, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? So, that you may know, number one, the hope of his calling, number two, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and number three, the exceeding greatness of his power. This is what the apostle believes that we need. So that's what he's praying for. Number one, that you may know the hope of his calling. You know, we, we have been called to something so great, so grand, so glorious, that and sometimes it, it escapes us how amazing it is. But what Paul is, is praying for here is that we would have an understanding when he says, you know, that you might know the hope of your calling. The idea is that we would understand how great our calling is. Oh, the fact that we are the called of God, this is amazing. This is astounding. This is so just you know, unbelievable that I would be called by God. What is that calling? What is the hope of the calling? Well, there are many aspects to it, but I'll just mention four. First of all, and we've talked about this before, but I'll bring it up again. First of all, we've been called to be God's children. We are the sons of God. We are the daughters of God. We're in relationship with God, the creator of all things. The infinite, almighty God is our dad. He's our Abba or Papa. He's our parent in that most intimate sense. We've become that. We've been called into this relationship with him. See, this is amazing. How great is that to be a child of God. And especially when we contrast where we previously were 
And in the second chapter of this epistle, when Paul again is zeroing in on the great things God has done for us, he shows that we have gone, really, we've gone from the, the lowest possible place, dead in trespasses and sins, to be uh, exalted to the highest possible position. That he would take us who lived our lives spitting in his face and shaking our fist, you know, before him, defying him, that he would take us and that he would make us his sons and daughters and pour out all of the blessings that a good father pours upon his sons and daughters. So we're called into this relationship. But secondly, we're called saints. The hope of his calling, we're called saints. The root word for saint is the word holy. God has called us to holiness. He's called us to holiness. And although there are exhortations, be holy because I am holy, and we'll get to that exhortation part of it. But for right now, all it's saying is God's called us to holiness, meaning God's doing that. That's where he's bringing us to. He's bringing us to holiness. But then he's also called us to be his servants. Now in today's way of thinking, being a servant isn't a privileged position, is it? It's actually a position for the underprivileged. Uh, but in God's economy, being a servant is, that's the most important thing. And he's called us his servants. We are the servants of God. When God speaks fondly of uh, people throughout history, in the scriptures, he refers to them as my, my servant, my servant Moses, or my servant Abraham, or in regard to Jesus, behold my servant. God's called us to be his servants. You know, he's actually also called us to be his friends. But then finally, and this isn't exhaustive because we could keep adding to this, but we don't have time. But finally, God's called us. And, and again, Paul's objective here is that we might know the hope of his calling. God has called us to be kings and priests and to rule and reign with Christ forever. Talk about something mind-boggling. He's called us to be kings and priests, and we shall reign with him forever and ever on the earth. You know, when we realize the greatness of our calling, this is part of, I think, what Paul's intention is. When we realize how great our calling is, that would then motivate us not to get wrapped up or distracted by or weighed down in these lesser insignificant kinds of things that so often occupy our lives to the exclusion of enjoying what we've been called to. You know, that's the big battle that we all have to struggle with, isn't it? That, you know, that all of these other distracting things are always working to take us away from that more wonderful thing of, of the communion that God has called us into, that, that fellowship that we have with him. But when I realize how, how great this calling is, it's like everything else is, you know, okay, that, that might be fine, but it doesn't compare to this. There's nothing like this. So that means that I'm going to then be investing myself primarily in those other things because those are the things that matter. Those, of course, are the eternal things. So this is where the prayer begins, that they may know the hope 
that you may know the hope of his calling. And then secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We talked a little bit about this previously, but what Paul is praying for here is, again, that we would know how much God values us, that we are of great value to him. And so Paul, that's his prayer for the saints in Ephesus. That's uh, the Spirit's prayer for us, that we would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You are highly valued by God. You're precious to him. You mean something to him. You're special. And let me just say this, for those of you that might not feel that way, Maybe you feel like you're, you're not valued by anybody. Maybe you feel like you're not special in any way. Maybe and that's, that's transferred over to your thinking about God. Well, you know, nobody else values me. Nobody else cares about me. Nobody else loves me. Why would God care about me? Why would God love me? Well, he does. And he proved it. He proved it by giving the most valuable thing, the blood of his son, to purchase you as his own prized possession. And Paul is asking that we would be illuminated by the Spirit to, to understand this. And you know, it's true, isn't it? We, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need that, that uh, supernatural revelation to come our way where just suddenly something happens where we know that we know that we're loved like we never knew it before. We know that we know our, our destiny and, and the future glory like we never knew it before. That's that, that illuminating work of the Spirit that Paul is praying for. And then thirdly, that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us the exceeding greatness of his power. What is the power that he's talking about here? He's talking about the power of the resurrection. You see, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, it was a power that had to overcome the power of sin. It was a power that had to overcome Satan. It was a power that had to overcome death itself. And it did. And that is the power that Paul says is at work toward us who believe. So sin that has a grip on us that we cannot naturally free ourselves from, nor can we enlist the help of any other human being uh, or all other human beings to free ourselves from that. Sin that has its grip on us so tightly that we can never free ourselves from that grip. Christ breaks that power of sin over our lives. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in us to break that power of sin. So we're no longer bound to sin. We're no longer under its dominion. And the same is true with the dominion and the authority and the power of Satan. We're no longer under his power. Jesus sets us free from captivity to sin and to Satan. And ultimately, Jesus gives us the victory over death. But Paul says that they might know the exceeding greatness of his power 
that you might know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's at work in your life. That's the power that's at work in our lives. This is why we're gonna be set free. This is why we're going to be holy. This is why we're going to attain glory because of that resurrected power that's at work in us. And so you see, these things, the apostle, like I said earlier, he, he's praying, Lord, help them to know this. Help them to know you and help them to know these things, not just in theory, but help them to know these things as a real experience in their own lives. And how does he go about it? He goes about it by praying. And so this is what we can do. We can pray for each other. We can pray for ourselves. And we see that God wants to. This is a, re a revelation of his will. He wants these things to be ours and we need to pray for one another that they, that they are ours. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray this stuff in. Again, not, don't be content just to hear it, but let's pray it in. Let's pray it for each other. And don't be afraid to pray it for yourself. Sometimes people get funny ideas about things like prayer, like, well, you know, if I pray for myself, that's pr probably selfish, and I don't want to be selfish, so I can't pray for myself. You know, I'm, I'm really selfish. I pray for myself all the time. <laughs> and I pray for myself because I know better than anybody else how much prayer I really need. So you can pray for yourself, and you can pray for me too, and I'm praying for you. <laughs> and let's all pray for each other. And what are we praying? We're praying these things right here. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Lord, let us see this stuff. Let us, let us just really know it. You see, that's the thing. There are too many people in the church that are operating purely on head knowledge. They, they know it all up here, or they know bits and pieces of, of it up here, but it hasn't made its way to the heart. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Like I said, yes, of course, we need the head. We're not dismissing the head. We need to use our minds. We need to use the intellect, but it doesn't stop at the intellect. It must go to my heart. It must go to our hearts because that's where the transformation then occurs when it comes to my heart. And so, like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, we pray for one another that these things would be true for us, that we would experience God in the way he desires to be experienced, and that we would know by experience the things that he wants us to know, the hope of our calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power working in us who believe.
For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. Our identity as a Christian is defined by who God says we are, and our identity in Christ connects us to God. But pornography attempts to unglue our identity from God and from others. It skews and distorts true manhood and true womanhood, enslaving millions. So in his book, The Death of Porn, Ray Ortland reminds us of the royal identity of men and women and the practical ways the bondage of pornography can be broken. If you want to be equipped to face the slavery of pornography in your life or the life of others, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.